right, how you doing, everybody? And welcome to another episode of the John Riley Project. This is episode number three hundred and twenty-nine of the John Riley Project, and we're just getting going here. Uh, thanks for joining me. You know, we we do like to ca- talk about San Diego news headlines, hopscotching around some of the cities in San Diego, um, some of the communities in San Diego, Poway, Penasquitos, National City, El Cajon, Escondido. We cover it all. Uh, that's me channeling my inner hacksaw. Um, but thanks for joining us. Welcome here. And we're, we've got some good things in store for you today. We're going to talk about Poway, the city of Poway. You know, there's a lot of radical changes going on on Poway Road and all the the locals are just hair on fire. Well, they're putting in a raising canes, which has ignited a whole new set of controversy. We're going to talk about that. We're going to get into a bike park they're putting into San Marcos that I thought was kind of interesting. Uh, An interesting topic also about a teacher who quit her job, went to work for Costco, and is making 50% more. And there's a lot of nuances to that story that I thought were worthy of discussing. We'll have a, we'll touch briefly on Steve Garvey. He's made it official. He's running for California senator. And then uh, we're going to talk a little bit about Joe Biden and junk fees, which is kind of like the new, um, topic de jour of a lot of the Democrats wanting to go after junk fees. And I think there's some some interesting hypocrisy there, and we're going to break all that down. But how you doing? Hey, thanks for joining us. You know, this is a live stream. That means you can participate. So if you have a comment or a question, just type it into the live chat on Facebook or YouTube. I'll see it here on my screen. I'll get you involved. And of course, we have our San Diego Community Forum at the conclusion. And there I you know, take more callers here or more you know, social media live streamers. Uh, we've already got some questions queued up about the California bullet train, about minimum wage, about Republicans and Democrats and about unions. Oh, my God, so much here. So, you know, I do like to talk about politics, but this isn't all politics. I like to talk about business. I like to talk about Really, you know, the overarching theme of this podcast is life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness. And politics plays a role, but so does culture, so does business. And so, you know, self-improvement, a lot of different things that we kind of touch base on here. But it is fun to kind of use local news here in San Diego as sort of a jumping off point to get into a lot of these discussion topics. So that's our plan for today. How you doing? Okay, let's... um, Let's get started. And I want to talk right now a little bit about this whole idea of raising canes coming to Poway. And, you know, this is it's it's it sounds like kind of a trivial story, right? Oh, some fast food joints moving into Poway. Not a big deal, right? Well, this has actually stirred up a whole bunch of discussion and con- controversy here in my hometown of Poway. So the breaking news on this is that the city of Poway, the city council, has stated that they support adding a Raising Cane's restaurant on Poway Road. And you might be thinking, well, what's what's Raising Cane's? And it's like another one of these chicken restaurants that's competitive with Chick-fil-A and competitive with... What's the other one? Um, Popeyes and, and the like. And, you know, there's obviously a lot of hardcore fans of some of these restaurants. And they're going to be transforming a essentially an empty lot that has been vacant forever on Poway Road, um, you know, right near the um, what would that be? Kind of near the Kumeyaay, um 
Indian Native Indian uh, interpretive center that's right there. There's also uh, like across the street, kitty corner from a Bank of America. It's been an empty lot forever. And it, it's been owned by the local Ford dealership back. It used to be Perry Ford. I don't know what they're called now, but it was like an overflow lot. And there's some kind of a shed there. And this has been you know, really just a, an empty lot. It's been kind of blighted property. They're transforming this into a brand new restaurant. And according to Kaylin Frank, who who's shown up there on the screen, Kaylin Frank, of course, one of our city council members in Poway, um, she said, quote, I love this plan. It takes a blighted property that's an eyesore and turns it into something beautiful. I absolutely support it. And, you know, this is, by the way, in her district, District 4. And, I generally support what Caleb Frank is saying. I think, yeah, this is going to be an upgrade to an area of Poway Road that's just been dormant. Um, it's going to increase the value of the property. It's going to provide more amenities for people here in Poway to find new restaurants and to shop. It's going to upgrade it. It does, though, fall into the trap. I remember the first time I drove on Poway Road. Gosh, I was trying to get out to Ramona one day. This is in the early 90s, like maybe 1990, 1991. And the way to go to Ramona was to go through Poway and go up to Highway 67. And I remember making a comment to myself that every fast food joint known to mankind has a franchise or has an outlet there on Poway Road. And and we seem to keep adding to this. And so the latest is Raising Cane's. Um, now, Brian Pepin, who is another city council member here in Poway, he com- commented that um, or he was concerned whether the building's modern industrial farmhouse style architecture, which is designed with indoor and outdoor covered dining areas, will be compatible with Poway Road's country style theme. And this is an interesting comment. Um, okay, so Brian Pepin, he's one of the newer council members, and he represents District, is it one? I think it's one. Or no, wait, no, it's two. He's in District 2. And, um, you know, he's making this comment about whether the architecture is a right fit for the city. To me, this is something that city council people shouldn't be involved in in the first place, is this kind of idea of micromanaging, uh, trying to be some kind of an architect approval person or interior designer person, and whether it fits the profile for Poway's country style. I mean, if Poway had a legitimate, you know, as he said, a country style theme, they wouldn't have built the business park. They wouldn't have, you know, built a lot of these condos on Poway Road. They wouldn't have built a lot of other things here in town. Poway has this motto of being the city in the country, but that's like such a throwback, feel-good idea from so long ago that it really doesn't apply anymore. And so this idea of saying, I'm not sure if this kind of fits our profile. And by the way, it's a modern industrial farmhouse look to cane, raising canes. So it's probably going to fit. But to me, this is just kind of um, a virtue signal to voters in Poway saying, you know, he's on board with the city and the country idea. 
But, you know, the, the city officials have planned to make some adjustments in this or some recommendations. This gonna, construction is going to start in May of 2024. It will be completed at the end of 24 or the early part of 2025. And then Mayor Steve Voss chimed in and he says, I'm excited to see it come together. It's a vast improvement over what's there. Well, yeah, it absolutely is. You know, if you drive by that, that lot's been empty or it's been an overflow vacant lot for as long as I've lived in Poway. And I've lived in Poway now since 1996. Um, So it's going to be a definite upgrade. I think it's great. Now, um, the Louisiana-based company specializes in chicken fingers, but also offers sandwiches and side dishes such as Texas toast, coleslaw, crinkle cut fries, along with beverages, yada, yada, yada. So now, this, of course, did ignite a lot of opposition from you-know-who, Chris Cruz, who runs the South and North Poway Vote. She also has got this new site called Poway Voices. And Chris Cruz and a lot of her followers are generally anti-development, particularly on Poway Road. And um, her objections were, you know, you're claiming you're trying to make this city a more walkable community on Poway Road, and now you're putting in a fast food restaurant with a drive through and that's not compatible with a walkable community. And oh, by the way, the city of Poway is the only city in the county that doesn't have a, what do you call it, a... Um, a climate change plan it has no, you know, climate plan for the city of Poway. And now you're going to be inviting more cars that are going to be sitting there idling in the drive through line, spewing carbon um, when and just making our climate change problems worse. <laughs> OK, let's break all that down. OK, first of all, is this going to be compatible with a more walkable community on Poway Road? The answer is yes, of course it is. There's going to be a bunch of apartment buildings that are built about a block away. Uh, There's going to be, I don't know how many units there, 200, 300 units. It's going to provide more options for people to walk down Poway Road, 100%. There's a lot of people that live within a few blocks of this restaurant that will definitely be walking there, for sure. People that are south of Poway Road, people that are north of Poway Road, people that do business on Poway Road. Now, is it going to be more car traffic going in and out? Well, yeah, it will be. And Poway Road is kind of a cluster there. I mean, we've talked a little bit about, you know, the the, the Poway Urbanist is another local guy that runs some local um, content about city planning. And he makes arguments about streets versus roads, you know, and streets are kind of those local streets that you you have 25 miles per hour and and people are parking to go shopping or go into restaurants and then you have roads which are you know where people can go 50 miles an hour kind of like a small freeway to get from point A to point B but Poway Road's kind of a mix of both which is makes it difficult so yeah there's going to be more driving on Poway Road around this site but I've heard forever people in Poway say we need more restaurant options and they're right kind of wish it wasn't raising canes. I know my son will be excited when he comes back to Poway to visit because he and his buddies used to have to drive out to, I don't know, Mira Mesa or somewhere to go to raising canes. It's another fast food place. I would prefer kind of more of a, um, you know, sit down restaurants, outdoor patio. Well, this does have an outdoor patio, but kind of a little bit more upscale than fast food. I mean, it doesn't need to be a white tablecloth restaurant. That's what I prefer. But then again, I'm just a guy. I'm a guy with a podcast and people 
are going to show their interest in this by doing business there. And I don't think we as citizens should be able to dictate to that property owner what they can put there and what they don't, what they can't put there. But it is going in, and I think this is interesting. It's just yet another improvement along Poway Road. And then, oh, let me just take a quick tangent and talk about one more thing on Poway Road is, you know, they're building that um, – what what is it called? The Fairfield Project that's going in where Poway Road uh, Bowling Alley used to be and where the thrift stores used to be. And that is going vertical in a hurry and people are freaking out. Well, the latest change has been is that along Poway Road, along the median there, they had a bunch of palm trees that um, were – you know, because they have other kinds of trees and shrubbery there along the, the median on Poway Road, and some of it looks better than others. But they cut down these palm trees to, because they're going to add a, a signal and a turn so people that are going westbound on Poway Road can pull into this new housing complex, the Fairfield Project. And boy, the, some of the people here in town were really angry about that. You're cutting down trees. This is supposed to be a tree city USA. What are you doing here? Uh, and then Pete Neal, my good friend, who's a frequent guest on the podcast, he was commenting how the trees were cut down and right down the center of Poway Road, which, by the way, is the, the dividing line between districts four and all in districts one, two and three. I think at that particular juncture, it might be the border between District 2 and District 4. And he was speculating whether or not Brian Pepin and Kalen Frank got together and talked about this since it was right on their dividing line. But, you know, there's upgrades going on on Poway Road. And part of this is there's disruption and people are just still very, very uncomfortable with change. I am, as I said before, generally very supportive of this. I'm not a big supporter of canes, raising canes, but I'm a supporter of more restaurant options. But ultimately, the property owner should be able to develop on their property. And here they're taking a vacant auto overflow lot and turning it into a restaurant that's going to make a lot of people in Poway happy. I know there's going to be a ton of Raising Cane's fans. I mean, you should have seen when they had the grand opening for uh, the Chick-fil-A. I mean, that was like a major event in Poway. You had all the city council members there, Mayor Steve Voss, big ribbon cutting ceremony. There'll probably be something similar to that when this thing eventually opens at the end of 2024, early 2025. So what do you think about this? Putting in a raising canes on Poway Road. Is this just more of a cluster on Poway Road, more traffic, more people, more, inf- you know, more infrastructure, more just congestion or is this an upgrade? Um, what do you think? If you have comments or questions, just drop them in the live chat on Facebook or YouTube, and I'll see you on the screen, and I'll get you involved. Okay, um, we're going to move on now, and, and I do want to talk about a number of other things. We're going to talk about Sam Marcos and Costco and Joe Biden and Steve Garvey, plus the San Diego Community Forum. But just a plug here. Um, if you like what we're doing here with the John Riley Project, you know, I try to cover San Diego news and a comment. I have lots of comments. And of course, I invite guests on here all the time. If you'd like to learn more about the podcast, go to my website, johnreillyproject.com. There you can download all of our most recent episodes. If you want to be a guest, you know, you can go to the contact page and send me a note. Um, if you'd like to, you know, follow on social media and continue the conversation, you can do that there. 
there at my website, johnreillyproject.com. And oh, by the way, if you'd like to support what we're doing, you can make a voluntary donation at johnreillyproject.com. Um, and it's just your way to kind of share the love and to exchange value for value. We're in a win-win relationship where I offer value to you. And if you would like to voluntarily offer value to me, you can make a donation, a one-timer, or you can donate five, 10, 20 bucks a month, whatever works for you. Um, there is a podcaster that I support with a $25 per month donation because I support what he does. So if you feel the same, you have an opportunity to do that there as well. Okay, let's go from Poway, and I want to talk a little bit about San Marcos. And this story caught my attention about this bike park coming to San Marcos. And, you know, I've done a lot of commentary on biking in San Diego. And part of this is is because back when I was a kid, I I used to race BMX bikes. And and so biking has been a part of my personal DNA back in my personal history. And plus, my daughter is a avid biker, triathlete. And so we're always talking about biking here at the Riley household. But it's cool. This is a cool project. And I wanted to just briefly highlight it here in the city of San Marcos. And they're putting in this bike park. And it's like this dirt park with jumps and berms. And it's like this big BMX racetrack. But it's just open to the public and anyone can use it. And it's going to be available for people of all skill levels. And it's right there at Bradley Park, right there in the center of San Marcos. And it's going to be an eight acre bike park. It's going to include a pump track, a perimeter trail and jump lines for beginners, intermediate and advanced skill levels. So what's a pump track? A pump track is, you may have seen these at some parks. It's like a, a paved little track with And sometimes you'll see these as dirt, but more often they're paved and they've got bank turns and little jumps. And you can actually ride a bike on that and not have to pedal barely at all. You know, and that's why they call it a pump track is you use your personal momentum on the bike to move around the track. And it's kind of cool. But they've they're also putting on in a lot of these other big jumps. And there's a few other parks here in San Diego that are like this that are really cool. Um, San Diego's Pacific Highlands Ranch Community Park, uh, Greg Cox Park in Chula Vista, the Sweetwater Bike Park in Bonita. That's the one I had heard about. Um, and they have similar amenities there, but there's nothing like this in North County. And I thought this was really cool. Now, part of this came from citizens in San Marcos that were upset about some kind of how should I say, some people going rogue, building their own in some vacant lots. So the local clamor for a bike park hit a flashpoint in 2019 when San Marcos community members protested the city's removal of a bike jump lane constructed by local youth on protected open space. At a subsequent public meeting with over 100 attendees, residents communicated the need for a local bike park. So this, for me, is like a flashback to my my days as a kid riding my BMX bike, and we would do the same thing. We would find these vacant lots, and we would build jumps on them. And I remember there was one right there in Millbrae. We used to call it the hump, which was like this jump on a hump. And it was what really got me going in, in, uh, in my interest in biking. And then I later went into BMX racing and a lot of other stuff. And it was really cool because it was a place for bikers to kind of connect. And there's a community of bikers and built a lot of new friendships. And now this park is going in. And I think this is a great project 
for the city of San Marcos. Um, now, they've raised $236,000 in grants from the Friends um, the Friends of San Marcos Parks, the San Diego County Board of Supervisors, Neighborhood Reinvestment Grant, State Parks and Recreation Proper, Proposition 68 per capita program. Um, and it's gotten a lot of support from the San Diego Mountain Biking Association. The lot's been vacant for decades and decades. And all they're doing is bringing in soil and building it up. So what do you think of this? Now, you know, I, on some of my other podcasts, I've been critical of other local city governments kind of getting outside their lane, right? You know, like in in the city of Escondido, for example, they've, they've got a real fiscal crisis. They've got a structural deficit because they're spending too much money and they're not bringing enough in. Well, it's important, I think, for city government to be focused on the fundamentals. And number one, the, the priority of any local city government, in my opinion, is public safety. You know, that's police and fire and in some cases, ambulance services, depending on whether that's part of the fire department or not. Um, and then usually the second priority of city government is, you know, water, I mean, kind of public work. So it's like water and sewage and roads and that sort of thing. And then kind of a subset of that are parks. And this is basically another park in the city of San Marcos. Um, and the great thing about this is, is it's not like a park where you've got to build all of these, you know, it's not like a major landscaping project. And they're just going to bring in dirt. They're going to obviously have to bring in some bulldozing equipment to shape the dirt. But I'll bet you a lot of this is going to be maintained by the riders themselves. The city, of course, is going to help out. But this doesn't require lots of concrete and buildings and all kinds of other infrastructure. This should be a relatively simple, low-cost project. They're already getting money from a lot of other grants. They're already taking advantage of state programs where the money's on the table. Now, we can debate whether or not this should be funded in the first place. But as taxpayers, if we have a way to kind of get some of our money back and have it reinvested in our community, that's great. Now, this is going to be kind of like an open riding area. Um, it's not going to be a place where they're going to have actual sanctioned races or anything like that, like at a BMX race. But there is talk about putting in more BMX tracks in San Diego County. There's already one in Kearney Mesa. Um, there's another one out in Lakeside. And of course, there's the, the one down at the Olympic Training Center in the eastern part of Chula Vista. There has been talk of putting in an, a BMX uh, racetrack in Escondido. There's been talk of putting one here in my hometown of Poway. I'd love to see it. I mean, I, again, I'm a big supporter of BMX racing, but here we're going to see more of this kind of thing now in San Marcos. So that photo on the screen, I think is from the Sweetwater Park, uh, but it still looks like it's going to be a ton of fun. And I, I've got a BMX 20-incher and a 24-incher. I'll probably bring it out there and check it out. So tell me what you think in the comments on the live stream in the uh uh, Facebook or YouTube, you can drop your comment or question and we could talk a little bit more about the bike park that's coming to San Marcos. Okay, um, let's move on. And I want to, before we're going to get into um, Costco, there's <laughs> a great story about a teacher that quit her job and is working at Costco making 50% more. And this has got a lot of implications. We'll talk about that. Plus about Joe Biden and junk fees. We're going to talk about um, Steve Garvey is running for, se for senator in California. That's a fun topic. But, you know, I want to ask you this. I mean, 
what are some of the topics that you'd like to hear about? Um, you know, I, I'm trying to cover mostly local issues in San Diego County because they generally don't get as much exposure as I think they deserve. And I think these local topics provide jumping off points for us to make more broad commentary about politics and society and, and our economy, et cetera. But I'll tell you what, it, sometimes it's hard to find topics to talk about because, you know, even here in, in San Diego, you go through the lo- local news headlines and there's a lot of crime reports. There's always talk about housing. And I talk a lot about housing on my podcast. Um, there's always usually talk about energy. Um, but, you know, what are some of the other issues you'd like to hear me talk about? So if you've got some recommendations, just type them in the live stream on Facebook or YouTube or go to my website, johnreillyproject.com on my contact page. You can leave me a note or if you follow me on social media, just drop me a line there as well. And I'm always looking for interesting topics to cover. I'm always open to having new guests on the show. So uh, if you're interested, just let me know. Okay, let's uh, move on down the line. I want to talk about this story here about a teacher that is making 50% more money because she quit her job as a teacher and now went to work for Costco, which on the surface sounds outrageous, right? Oh my God, they're not paying teachers enough. Oh my God, Costco pays 50% more than a teaching job. And, you know, I cover a lot here about what's going on in our local school district at Poway Unified. We talk about them quite a bit, especially when we have elections. We've had some of the school board candidates in here um, that have discussed their campaigns. We've talked a lot about school bond measures here in, in the Poway Unified School District. But this is an interesting issue because it highlights this topic of teacher salaries. And let's let's break this one down. So A 31-year-old teacher quit her job. She now works at Costco and boosted her income by 50% and, quote, I've never been happier. Uh, So she turned 30 and quit her job and went to work at Costco. And this sounds discouraging initially, right? Um, So she said, I no longer found fulfillment and a sense of worth in my work alone. She went on to say, my priority is to have a clear divide between personal and professional lives. I want to spend time with my husband and our two kids and pursue the things that are truly important to me. Um, I worked 60 hours a week and put in a ton of unpaid overtime between administrative pressures, testing requirements, and the endurance required to teach during the height of the pandemic. I was exhausted. I felt like I lacked purpose. (laughs) Wow. So this is interesting because in my opinion, um, you know, kind of more broadly than just teaching or Costco, we spend at least 40 hours of our week on our work, on our career, for those of us that do work and have careers. Um, and if you think about how much time we spend at work versus how much time we spend with family, the time we spend at work, we probably spend a lot more hours at work than we do with our family members. And I know for all of us, our priority is family. And and she wants to prioritize her family first. And I get it. And I support her on that. But I do believe that it's important that you get fulfillment from the things that you do in your day job. Because your work shouldn't be a grind. It shouldn't be a chore. You shouldn't be feeling like I'm working for the man. I mean, when we develop our careers, we should have 
um, something that is fulfilling in our career, that is part of our passion. Um, and it's, it's a shame when people lose that fire, lose that spark, and work becomes drudgery. Work becomes a drag. And for a lot of people, work is like that. And I feel sad for people like that. And I feel sad for myself when I've gone through those periods. You know, ever since I've done this podcast, and I consider this part of my work, you know, this is a very fulfilling project for me. I'm not making a million dollars a year doing it, that's for sure. But but I really enjoy it. And it's time for me that's well spent because it it kind of... It is fulfilling, but it's also aligned with a lot of my values. And I think that's important. But for her, you you think most people that go into teaching, you know, really do this because they're pursuing some kind of a higher cause to make an impact on society and our youth and to make a difference. And she lost that flame, which is sad. Um, Now, what was interesting is she said, for eight years, I taught middle and high school history and language arts at public and private schools. In 2022, during my final school year, my salary was $47,000. And I thought to myself, 47, okay, first of all, that's not a lot of money. Secondly, I'm positive our Poway Unified School District pays more than that if you have eight years experience. And I looked it up at Poway Unified, you know, here in San Diego County, if you have eight years or more, you're going to make between seventy-five dollars and $87,000 a year, depending on your credentialing, depending on your, um, your additional degrees, whether you have a master's degree or additional um, continuing education, or even if you have a doctorate, you'll make more. And then for every year beyond that, you're going to make more and more money. It's part of the step in, what do they call it? A... Uh, um, it's a, it's a, it's like a stepping stone kind of a a pay matrix. Um, I can't remember the name what they called it, it was step and something. Uh, and then I thought to myself, well, if she's only making forty seven thousand after eight years as a teacher, yet here in Poway they're they're making between seventy five and eighty seven thousand for an eight year experience. I thought, oh yeah, there's no way she's in California. I mean, no way at all. Um, So as I I dug into this a little bit, I did discover that she's in Georgia, okay, where the cost of living is going to be a lot less. And then it kind of started to make sense. But she said at first when she got this job, she was making $18.50 an hour, a little less than what she earned as a teacher. She put in 40-hour work weeks, five days a week. She got a dollar an hour raise when she hit 1,000 hours. And um, now she's earning what a teacher with 15 years of experience made at her last school district, which is 50% more than when she quit. So, you know, it, it, it does invite the question, why don't teachers make more money? And you hear this all the time, right? I mean, a, a lot of times when there's a call to raise taxes, it's usually, you know, one of the calls is to have better teachers and to reward teachers. You're seeing some school districts that are, here in San Diego, I think the school district out in Alpine is building housing for teachers as kind of an additional benefit to supplement their salary. There's people that genuinely, you know, most people have a soft spot in their heart for teachers and would like to see them make more money, but they don't. You might be thinking, well, why? Why don't they make more? Especially since we've been spending more and more money on teaching, on more on education, I think the K through 12 education budget in the state of California is almost half of the state budget. Um, 
I mean, even here, our local school district, Poway Unified, their annual budget is a half a billion dollars a year. Around, roughly speaking, around $500 million operating budget per year. There is already a ton of money spent on, on teachers and on education. And you're wondering, well, why aren't they making more? Well, what's interesting is, is if you look at where, te- where schools are spending their money, there has been a surge in spending on school employees that are not teachers, whether they're administrators managers, or they're in in charge of other categories that aren't necessarily part of education, whether it's counselors, um, whether it's uh, food services, whether it's a lot of other cases where there's a lot of school employees that aren't involved with, with teaching at all. They're definitely supplemental to teaching. They're administrative or they're in different roles, you know, whether it's maintenance of the grounds or what have you. It's it's crazy. Like now, like, for example, another way to think of this is, is that Poway Unified claims that they get around. I'm going to get my math is roughly about I think this is roughly right. It's about eleven thousand dollars per student per year. Now, other school districts around the nation get much more than that. You know, they're getting funded by their uh, state government to the tune of fifteen, twenty, twenty-five thousand dollars per student per year. Poway Unified is around eleven thousand, if I recall, and that doesn't count all the money that's being spent in property taxes to pay for the bonds for the construction of the schools. Because I'm just talking about the the annual operating budget. But if you had a classroom of thirty kids, and and each of those kids was essentially bringing in eleven thousand dollars a year um, of you know sort of state revenue. That means there's $33,000 of money per classroom. And you're wondering, well, why in the heck are teachers making like 50000 60000 or even seventy five? You think that a teacher could easily make a third of that and then have the remainder go to other stuff. But the reason the teachers are getting squeezed in a lot of cases is because there's so much being spent on things that are unrelated to teaching entirely. Plus, there's all of the, you know, of course, the the benefit program for a lot of school employees is pretty generous, you know, in terms of health care, pension, um, and a lot of other amenities. Um, but I just thought this was interesting that she, she quit the job and she said, my work is no longer my identity. And, and that, that caught my attention because do you believe your work is part of your identity? I've battled with this one internally myself because there have been some times when I was very happy that my identity and my work were interwoven. But then there were other times that I didn't like that, that I thought, you know, I was a lot more than my job. And what I did, my job was a means to the end, the end being my own life. And there's a lot to be said about that as well. But in my opinion, because we spend so much of our time, um, in our job, I think your job being one dimension of your identity makes a lot of sense because that's your work. It's what you do for the majority of your life. And the challenge for all of us is, is to find work that's meaningful, that's for f- fulfilling. And for this particular person, it wasn't fulfilling. Um, we're taught from a young age to think about dream jobs in terms of what do you want to be when you grow up? 
And according to this person, she said, now I spend more energy thinking about who do you want to be? And that's, I mean, it's, that's, that's right and not right. She is right in terms of being focused on who we want to be. And, you know, we want to flourish in our life. We want to pursue happiness in our life. But what we are in our lives is a part of that. Um, and what we do in our careers is a part of that. So the, the lesson here is, is, is um, your work, in my opinion, should be part of your personal mission, assuming you can find work that's aligned with your personal mission. And that's not easy to do, but sometimes you have to create that job on your own. Um, and is work a place where you should get fulfillment? In my opinion, the answer to that is yes, because if you are not getting fulfillment from your job, then your career is just a grind. It, it, it's, it's a job. It's not a career. Um, I think we have to find ways to get fulfillment from this. The, and the other angle of this is, is that she's quitting a teaching job and going to work for Costco. Do teachers deserve more money? I think you can make an argument, yes, but they have plenty of money in education. They just spend it on a lot of people that aren't teachers. And I think that's part of the problem is I think schools, the mission for schools has become so much more than education. You know, it's now a place where there's counselors and food programs and athletics. And we can go on and on down the road of all these additional things that are part of the, the educational experience that have nothing to do with education or certainly nothing to do with reading, writing and arithmetic. Um, and I think that's part of the reason why we've lost our way. And I think part of the reason why teachers are not getting paid what they, frankly, they, they probably deserve and why a lot of them are leaving the profession. Um, now, I don't know if it's if this is still true, but is there a shortage of teachers? My hunch is yes. And that's not an easy job. I was a substitute teacher for a while. It was a profession I had considered actually when I was in college. Um, and I had some time on my hands um, about 10 years ago, uh, where my business was was going well, but I had some I had some available time. And I said, you know, I'm going to give teaching a try. I went out and got a substitute teaching credential. That was relatively easy to get. And it was pretty easy to find jobs to fill in. Um, but, you know, being a substitute teacher in high school, that that's a mixed bag, right? You know, I mean, the way that students will treat you. But sometimes it could be a lot of fun. But it's a difficult job what they do. Um, and, and But you know what? This is the other kind of crazy tangent. She went to work at Costco. I love Costco. What a great place that is. I mean, my wife jokes with me. That's where I buy the majority of my clothing. So what do you think of that? What do you think of that? Um, should teachers make more? Is a job at Costco that pays 50% more than what a teacher earns, is that a poor reflection of the values in our society? Or is this just proof that there's better opportunity in the private sector than there is in the public sector? Tell me what you think. All right. So uh, before we get to the story about Steve Garvey, and I let me tee it up with some sports information. Um, if you love sports, if you like following the Padres, the Dodgers, the Angels, the Chargers, the Rams, the Warriors, Lakers, and Clippers, if you like following the NBA, the NFL, Major League Baseball, college sports, if you like following golf or tennis or soccer, check out 
the other podcasts that I do. I do it twice a week with legendary NFL play-by-play man and the king of sports talk radio, Lee Hacksaw Hamilton. We get together every Monday and Thursday at 3 p.m. here in the John Riley Project Studios. Uh, Dixie Line, by the way, has naming rights. I should refer to it then as a Dixie Line Lumber uh, podcast studio. Um, and we come and we talk sports for like an hour, hour and 15 minutes, twice a week. And boy, it's terrific. What a great podcast that is. And that those numbers on that podcast are blowing up. So if you love sports, if you want to reconnect with the franchise, Lee Hacksaw Hamilton, check out Lee Hacksaw Hamilton on Facebook, YouTube, wherever you get your podcasts. We have two episodes a week and we're releasing content every day. Uh, but that's my second passion project as part of this whole podcast thing that I do. Okay, so if we're talking sports with Hacksaw, let's talk a little bit about the Garve. And th- th- to me, this is a fun story. Um, Steve Garvey, and we had talked a little bit about this uh, about a month or month, a month or two ago, where the gar the garve was flirting with the idea of running for for senate as a republican in California and now he's made it official he's in um Steve Garvey has entered the race for US Senate as a republican and you might be thinking who's Garvey you know well he if you're a baseball fan you you know who he is he played for the LA Dodgers i think from the late 60s until the early 80s all-star MVP, you know, and and then he finished out his career with the San Diego Padres and had one of the most memorable hits in Padres history. Um, and he had always sort of flirted with the idea of being in politics, even in the 1980s, because he was sort of a straight arrow, clean cut guy. Um, he was a Reagan guy. He was uh, and always had interest in politics. And he was going to get involved with that. But then he had a lot of scandals in his personal life and in his professional life that derailed his aspirations of running for government, uh, for public office. And now he's he's jumped in. Now, he's going in as a Republican in the state of California. You'd think, oh, there's no way. There's no way this is going to work because California is so overwhelmingly blue. But Garvey, when he made his announcement, he he appeared to downplay his party affiliation because California has not elected a Republican to the U.S. Senate since Pete Wilson was reelected in 1988. Now, you know, of course, this is the the um, the the Senate position for Dianne Feinstein, who recently passed away, who was originally hoping to to finish out her term. And she was she wasn't able to finish it. She passed away. Governor Gavin Newsom has appointed LaFonza Butler, who is a um, a union activist, a um, a women's rights activist, to fill that job until the next election. And we have three Democrat politicians, Congress people, that are already in on this election. It's Barbara Lee and Katie Porter and Adam Schiff are also running for this. Um, but n- none of the Republicans that are in this race are prominent Republicans because everyone knows that a Republican is going to have no chance to win this. Um, now, Adam Schiff, you may remember him. He was kind of the dude that was uh, one of the spokespeople in the um, uh, the impeachment of, of Donald Trump. And he said in response to Garvey's announcement, quote, 
Before he was a multimillionaire Republican celebrity, he was a first baseman. Based on his announcement, it sounds like he's ready to take up the fight for everyone born on third base. They hit a triple. Go figure. (laughs) This is just typical BS between Republicans and Democrats. I mean, really, I, I would imagine, you know, the Republican base in California are not rich people. The rich people in California are overwhelmingly blue. Silicon Valley, you know, parts of L.A. are very, very Democratic. You have to go to the rural parts of California, Central Valley, where you're going to find a lot more GOP support. And those are people that were born at home plate or first base, not third base. But, you know, they always play up that that divide. Um And according to this quote here is from Barbara Lee, she said, at a time when our reproductive rights are under attack and our democracy is being undermined by Trump and his MAGA extremist supporters in Congress and across the country, we need a senator who will fight for our, um, what does it say, economic, racial and climate justice and who has the experience needed to be an effective progressive leader in the Senate. (laughs) Well, Barbara Lee is a progressive. Barbara Lee, by the way, I will give credit to her. She was one of, I think, maybe the only person in the Senate or in the Congress that voted against. Was it the Iraq War or the Afghanistan War? It might have been the Afghanistan War. So she's a principled person um, and a progressive, no doubt. But does California need a progressive? I mean, Dianne Feinstein held that position for, gosh, 30 years Dianne Feinstein was not a progressive, um, not really. I mean, she was definitely more of a centrist Democrat, a pro-military Democrat, a pro-establishment Democrat. Um, Barbara Boxer was probably a little bit more progressive than Feinstein. Um, But do we need a progressive in that position? I guess we'll find out. The voters are going to vote. But it is interesting that Barbara Lee said, we need someone that's for economic justice, racial justice, and climate justice. Now, does that make sense? I mean, economic justice, what does that mean? Um, to me, justice is getting what you deserve, whether rightfully or wrongfully. If you do good things, you should be rewarded. And if you do evil things, you should be punished. That's what justice should be. Um, it's funny how people will kind of frame Justice in collectivist terms, like racial justice, you know, economic justice, climate justice. To me, justice is an individual thing. You know, I mean, as individuals, we should get what we deserve, regardless of what our skin color is, our status in the economy, climate related issues. We should just get what we deserve. Justice should be thought of, I think, as an individual. Now, what does the Garve want to do? He says he's going to his top priorities in his campaign are. Education, quality of life, public safety, national security, homelessness, support for small business. Kind of reminds me a little bit about Amy Reichert, who is a Republican who's running in the uh, county supervisor race. I think it's District 4, trying to replace, um, what's his name, that was uh, that resigned in disgrace, um, Fletcher. Um can't remember his first name. But anyways, uh, she Amy Fletcher is running for office as a Republican, and she's highlighting the same things, quality of life, public safety, small business, homelessness. But it's funny. I mean, as a Republican, 
in the state of Cal. She's a Republican, Amy Reichert. So is Garvey. You can't be, you know, going for all the religious right kind of uh, talking points about anti-abortion, anti-gay rights. I mean, you would just be snuffed out, you know, instantly in the state of California. Rightfully so. Uh, Rightfully so. Because we all deserve equal rights. Um, Gays deserve the same rights as anybody else. And I am a big supporter of a woman's right to choose. It's her body. It should be her choice. Um, But the Garb is running on a different platform. Now, does he have a chance? You know, you might think, well, maybe the other candidates are going to split the vote. And he's the one Republican that, you know, might garner 80, 90 percent of the Republican votes. And maybe he can find a pathway. But in the end, you know, they're only going to take the top two into the general election. So there'll be a primary in, I assume, in March, and then the top two will be elected or the vote will be in November of 2024. But it's going to be either Schiff or Lee or Porter. One of those three is going to is going to win the primary and one the one of the others might get second place maybe garvey gets second place but even if the garve got second you go into the the general election there's no way he's going to win in california do i support garvey no i don't i just find it interesting that he's a sports guy that's getting into politics and to me i'm a sports guy that i enjoy talking about sports and politics so to me it's it's an interesting story um, and it's also kind of reflective of the values in California. And we're going to see here a celebrity Republican. I think the last celebrity Republican that ran for office in California was Arnold Schwarzenegger, and he won. But that was 20 years ago. And the climate in California is more progressive, more blue. And even though the Garve is uh, you know, part of blue heaven, part of uh, Dodger blue, He's going to get crushed by the Democratic vote. I don't think he has a chance. But tell me what you think in the live stream. Tell tell me in the chat on Facebook or YouTube, and we'll get you involved. Um, I just want to do one more plug. And one of the other things I do on my podcast is I have a number of e-commerce sites that I use to sort of support what I'm doing. Um, One of them is Happiness 76. And this is a store. It's all celebrating our life, liberty, and pursuit of happiness. So if you go to Happiness 76, you're going to see T-shirts and hats and coffee mugs and a lot of other cool swag that supports your liberty, your right to your own life. Um, there's like some pro-choice uh, stuff there, some self-improvement. I even got some baseball stuff uh, that's on that site. A lot of it's reflective of a lot of my personal interests as well. But if you go to happiness76.com, you'll see a wide array of products. You can also go to powwaystore.com where I have similar kinds of products for my hometown, the city and the country, uh, powwaystore.com. Okay, let's wrap this up before we get to the San Diego Community Forum. Let's wrap this up with this discussion of junk fees. And you may have heard some of this. I mean, President Biden has talked about this lately, and it's a big rallying point for the Democrats, is junk fees. What are they going to do? Um, and a lot of, you know, you buy concert tickets and there's StubHub and these others, and you see all these extra fees that are added on to the bill. I mean, in some cases, it's pretty crazy. Airbnb has a lot of this as well. And it's driving people crazy. And I know some people have said that they wanted to buy tickets to go to Snapdragon Stadiums to see the Aztecs. 
And the tickets there are expensive, $50, $100, $150. But then when you tack on the, quote, service fees from Ticketmaster, it adds 20 30 bucks a ticket on top. And it's pretty crazy. So while the advertised price is one thing, the final price of what you pay is significantly higher. And so there's this big crackdown on junk fees, these hidden junk fees for things like concerts, sporting events, hotel rooms, and utility bills. And we're hearing this from Joe Biden, and now he's deploying the Federal Trade Commission is putting forward a proposal to ban these junk fees. Now, you, we can discuss junk fees, and you know, none of us like junk fees. I mean, the the good part about junk fees, I, if you want to say there is a silver lining, is at least they're line itemed out, and you know what you're paying for. But it's not like you can opt out of them, and it is frustrating as hell. But the crazy part of this that caught my attention is the fact that our entire tax system and the way we pay for government services is loaded with junk fees. There are so many deductions and loopholes and tax shelters and other crazy things that you have to hire a professional CPA, a professional accountant to tell you how much you owe the government to pay for services from the government. So to me, it's just utterly ridiculous to hear this coming from government officials wanting to quash these junk fees when their tax um you know, the, 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 the tax rolls, our tax policies are thousands, tens of thousands of pages long. So this proposal from the FTC would prohibit businesses from running up bills with hidden fees and require them to disclose all mandatory fees in the upfront price to make it easier for consumers to compare options as they shop. Under the rule, companies who do not comply will face monetary penalties and be forced to return money to their customers. I mean, isn't it interesting, though, when you when you do your taxes, do you know what your return is going to be? I mean, you you probably will figure it out if you do the taxes yourself. But I know for us, I mean, we have to hire a CPA and we sort of kind of know how it's going to sort out. But usually at the end, it's like a crapshoot. Are we going to owe? Are we getting money back? Did we put enough money aside for taxes? You know, are there new deductions that we could take advantage of? I mean, it's ridiculous. I mean, the, the, the junk fees or, or kind of a similar kind of junk system is what's in our tax base, our tax policy. That's why I'm a big proponent of a flat tax. If you're going to have an income tax, which I don't think we should have an income tax at all. I think government should fund itself in a lot of different ways. But if you're going to have an income tax, it should be a flat rate um, and with, with no deductions for interest on your mortgage and no deductions for a lot of crazy stuff just to, to unwind the gamification of the whole system. Um, but they'll never do that because that's the source of power that politicians have to be able to centrally plan the, the, the economy and find ways to get donations from a lot of wealthy contributors. So the FTC proposal, by the way, would prohibit banks from charging junk fees before providing basic customer services. So, again, just the hypocrisy in this is bananas, if you ask me. What do you think? Let me know in the live chat. We did get a comment here on the live chat from Charles, and it's written entirely in Espanol, and I cannot read it. 
So I won't be commenting on that. Um, let's go to the San, San Diego Community Forum. You got some interesting comments here. And I, of course, I love taking live stream comments from our listeners and viewers that are enjoying the live stream. But here I also like to respond to some of our social media uh, commenters. And this is from Jay Beck talking about the California bullet train. And he says, the whole thing was supposed to cost the California taxpayers $33 billion and go from San Francisco to L.A. The current estimates for the reduced range are over $128 billion. I don't see how it's legal to continue this project once the cost estimates exceed the initial amount that Prop 1A alloc- allocated. Oh, and $5.4 billion has already been spent. Well, here's junk fees right here, right for you. You know, they promised us they were going to build this 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 train. Again, the numbers here that Jay Beck is presenting, I'm not sure they're accurate, but let's just assume that they are. And we approved Prop 1A. Well, quote, we, 53% of voters approved Prop 1A in 2008 for this bullet train. And if it was 50, $33 billion, well, that... That was a lie because <laughs> um, it was going to cost more. And we're already seeing that it's costing four times that amount, according to Jay Beck. This is the primary example of junk fees is what you see in government. And, yeah, this is a boondoggle. And they've, they've only built a part of this. I don't know if they've even built any rail. And it's only going to go from like Modesto to Fresno or something like that in the Central Valley. This thing is never going to be completed. And if it ever is, it's, I mean, I'll be lucky to be alive when this thing is completed. What do you think? Okay, here's a comment from Mike Devine. Mike Devine, um, another social media guy here in the Poway Ramona area. And uh, uh, Mike and I (laughs) have a little bit of return volleys in some of our social media conversations. And Mike, by the way, has been very, very active doing TikTok videos and then sharing those on Facebook and Instagram and elsewhere. And he's doing really well with it. So good for him. Um, But I was talking about the government shutdown. Remember that? That was like at the end of September. And I was saying, no way are they going to shut it down. They'll come into an agreement. And of course, they did at the 11th hour. And I also said, if they ever did shut it down, quote, shut it down, the government would never shut down because the military would still be active. The FBI, the CIA, there'd still be Border Patrol. You know, I mean, they would only, you know, have what they call non-essential stuff. I mean, you know, maybe some of the parks would be closed, but very little would change. And I was talking about it in the context of Joe Biden and 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 at, at the time, the speaker, McCarthy, Kevin McCarthy. And it was kind of being framed in the media as Republican versus Democrat. And Mike asked me, he says, please define the difference between Republicans and Democrats. They are both against it. And the RD difference discussion is meaningless. Why go there? Okay. Um, Generally speaking, Mike, you're right. There is very little difference between Republicans and Democrats, even though they posture and try to make it seem like it's the difference between angels and devils, Um, even though they try to make it like a rivalry, like the, the Yankees and Red Sox or the Dodgers and Giants. Republicans and Democrats are at least 90 percent identical, if not more. They're the same on when it comes to central planning the economy. They both want tremendous regulation. They both want corporate welfare. They both want an active U.S. military overseas. 
whether we're funding other countries for their war efforts or we're actually sending U.S. troops into other countries. They're both for massive debt. They're both for having all of these federal agencies that are involved in managing all these other segments of our society. There is very little difference between Republicans and Democrats. They both want progressive tax systems. They both want huge government. They both want, um, you know, the EPA. I mean, we, we, they both want government to run education. There is very little difference. Now, this this war that was was framed in the government shutdown, they, they frame it as Republicans versus Democrats. And the Democrats were saying, oh, those evil Republicans want to shut down the government because they're anarchists. and They don't believe in the government. But really, their, their disagreement on that, on that government shutdown at the end of September was really only on a couple of things. You know, the Republicans wanted more money for the border wall, and the Democrats wanted more money for Ukraine. But really, everything else, they were more or less in agreement. You know, they were both, I mean, they're already running deficits as high as $2 trillion, So this wasn't really a shutdown to try to, show some fiscal discipline. It wasn't that at all. What it was is they were just fighting a little bit over their pet projects. And oh, by the way, Biden is already expanding the border wall in California and in Arizona and in Texas. Republicans just want to expand it more and faster. And I think with a lot of this, there's been obviously a lot of recent news of immigrants coming into America And I think now the Democrats are starting to feel the heat on this. And that's why Biden is expanding the wall. Which is funny because they, the, the Democrats were condemning Trump for the wall. By the way, I think the wall is just a ridiculous initiative. It's, it's a reflection of a deteriorating civilization, in my opinion. Um, a wall is not reflective of our founding values of life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness. Uh, but Republicans want to expand the wall, and so do Democrats. They only debate by how much. And the same thing with Ukraine. Most Republicans support the Ukraine effort uh, of America funding Ukraine, providing military um, ammunition. They might differ a little bit with Democrats to the degree. So, Mike, you're right. Um, but I only highlighted is because that's the way the, the, the mainstream media frames everything, Republican and Democrat. And if you look at my podcast and when I often bring up Republicans versus Democrats, I'm usually the first to say that they are almost the same. Even though their persona, what they portray, their brand image, makes you think that they're night and day difference, but they're not. Look at the policies they, they pass. Look at um, their, the, their view of what the role of government is. There is very, very little difference. But I agree with you, Mike. And Mike, I just want to give you a shout out. You know, Mike, you're doing a lot of these videos online, and I love that you're doing that. And you're commenting on all kinds of stuff, which is cool. Um, I don't always agree with you. I mean, in one of your last videos, you were saying that there have been no wars under Trump. And that's false. <laughs> that's not true. Uh, Donald Trump expanded the drone war, dropping bombs in Asia, Middle East and Africa. Donald Trump sent missiles into Syria, dropped a mother of all bombs, the Moab in Afghanistan, has been expanding a trade war expanding a war on immigrants, expanding all kinds of other wars, the war on drugs even. So to say Donald Trump, there are no wars under Trump, is just a lie. Um, I mean, he had troops in Afghanistan. I mean, the Afghanistan pullout, Biden did it, which they should have pulled out of Afghanistan in 
2009, <laughs> after, after hitting all of those targets with air, they should have been out of that thing well over 10 years ago. But Republicans and Democrats continued that war. Even Obama expanded it. So, yeah, I mean, Republicans and Democrats, not much difference. Uh, but good for you, Mike. Keep going with your videos. I, I like what you're doing. Um, this next comment is from Anthony, and he's talking about the minimum wage. Because remember, I made the comments on one of my previous podcasts about California raising the minimum wage to $20 an hour, but only for fast food workers. All the other workers' minimum wage is still fifteen fifty per hour. And I often wondered, I mean, what if you worked in a restaurant, but it wasn't a fast food restaurant? Let's just say you worked at a really nice restaurant down in La Jolla that had a wait staff and white tablecloths, and they served wine, and it was an elegant place, and you're a dishwasher in the back. And you're getting paid minimum wage and maybe you're getting some tips, but are you making $20 an hour or $15.50? Cause it's not really fast food. That, it, it invites a lot of questions. I, I, I thought it was the two tiered part of that what I objected to. But in general, there's a lot of weirdness with the minimum wage. And, and, and that's what Anthony brought up. He says, what a lot of people fail to realize is minimum wage jobs were who they were intended for. With few exceptions, these are part-time jobs that were never meant to provide a, quote, living wage. These were jobs that married women took to earn a little extra pocket money while the kids were at school and, the, and, and, and while the husband was at work. Or high school students used them to earn pocket money and college students to earn book and tuition money. Okay. There's a, there's a lot packed into that comment right there. Okay, first of all, we agree that the minimum wage is not a living wage, and it really isn't intended to be a living wage. In fact, I think less than 2% of workers make minimum wage. Now, obviously, when you raise the minimum wage, it has a cascading effect. And, you know, because remember, they were talking about how the workers at Kaiser wanted to increase their minimum wage to $23 or $25 an hour. Kaiser was offering $23, and they were, that was part of the strike that they were <clears throat> protesting. And one of the lines was, it's like, well, burger flippers are making $20 an hour, and nurses that are caring for patients are only making $23? <laughs> a fair objection. But, yeah, the minimum wage is not a living wage. Not at all. I mean, it's really an entry-level wage, and... But to your comment about housewives using this, I mean, that's kind of a throwback to the 1950s and that sort of a single earner family um, where women are just housewives during the day. That's pretty rare nowadays. Most houses, I would imagine, are two earners, assuming they're married couples. But yeah, I mean, minimum wage is generally for people that have entry-level wages. And most people, when they get a minimum wage job, after a certain period of time, they're making more already. I mean, even in those fast food jobs. Um, so the question is, is should the minimum wage be raised? Should the minimum wage even exist? Now, some people say if there was no minimum wage, everybody would be working for five bucks an hour. Well, that's not true because... 99% of workers make well well above the minimum wage. Um, in the end, your wages are going to be determined based on your skills and experience and what the value that you provide in the workplace. And right now, there's a labor shortage, which works to the advantage of a lot of employees to make more money. That's good. I'm of the opinion that 
when you start raising the minimum wage, it sounds good, but what you're doing is you're making a lot of those original entry-level jobs illegal because they cannot be paid, they cannot get the pay that they previously got. And so people might say, well, yeah, those companies are making too much money. They need to spread the profit around. Well, okay. But I think that happens in a competitive labor market when when workers are making a lot more than minimum wage. The challenge is, is that as companies react to the raising of the minimum wage, what do they do? They'll probably hire less or they'll automate some of these jobs. So I think we should be encouraging more people to work and more people to get their foot in the door so they can build skills, gain more experience, and ultimately parlay those entry-level jobs into higher and higher pay and, and transform people's, quote, job into a career with long-term potential. I think you do that by making it easier for companies to hire entry-level workers. That's why I'm a supporter of really not having a minimum wage at all. Um, and, I, you know, and, and from an economic perspective, that just makes a lot of sense. But this is California where that, of course, will never happen. Um, but even then, it, it is crazy to me that they raise the minimum wage, but only for fast food workers. To me, that's wrong. That, that's inequality before the law. If you're going to have a minimum wage, it should be the same for everybody. What do you think? Let me know in the live chat. Um. And finally, got one more social media comment here in the San Diego Community Forum, and this has to do with unions. Um, and I, I, I did a segment in one of my previous podcasts about this proposal that apparently had gotten approved all the way through the California Assembly and Senate, but was vetoed by Gavin Newsom. And it was whether or not workers that were picketing, striking workers, if they deserve to get unemployment benefits. And Newsom vetoed that bill. And according to Evan, another commenter on YouTube, he says, support union labor. Unions raise the standard for all sectors of commerce. Do you enjoy your mandatory break and lunch? Thank the unions. Corporations didn't offer those free willingly. (laughs) Okay. Again, a lot packed into that comment as well. Okay. First of all, I'm not anti-union. My wife's in a union. So I, I don't have an objection to unions. Unions, for the most part, are good for the workers in that union. They negotiate on their behalf. A lot of times they're able to get higher pay, greater benefits. I don't have an objection to unions. If you want to join a union, go for it. Um, What I am objecting to in this particular case is if you choose not to work and instead you're a union worker and you go on strike, go for it. But a non-union worker, and if you decide I'm upset with my boss, I'm not getting what I paid, and I'm going to not show up for work, and instead I'm going to show up in front of the place where I work with a picket and I'm going to protest this, that's fine. Go for it. But if you do that as an individual, you don't get unemployment benefits. In fact, you're probably going to get fired and replaced with someone else. And you still can freely go out there and picket if you want. But if you step down from your job voluntarily, if you quit your job, you shouldn't be entitled to unemployment benefits. That's only for people that are laid off or people that there's a reduction in force where they are let go for reasons that were not their own. That's what unemployment insurance is for. 
And that's what companies, companies pay into that, by the way. The companies pay the unemployment insurance premiums. So essentially to cover those employees that end up getting let go because there's a reduction in force or layoffs because of economic conditions. But if you quit your job or you are out striking, you shouldn't, I mean, you shouldn't be get, you know, taking advantage of that particular benefit because non-union workers don't get that benefit. And we should have equality under the law, not different rules for union members or different rules for fast food workers. Now, what was interesting is that um, Gavin Newsom vetoed that bill. He vetoed it because the trust fund for unemployment insurance is $20 billion in the red. And so he made the fiscally prudent decision to veto it, but he didn't necessarily veto it on principle. He only vetoed it because there wasn't enough money to fund it. Now, I would think Gavin Newsom, if he had his druthers, if the money was in the pot, he probably would have signed it because he tends to be a more progressive governor. Although lately he's been backing off that a little bit because we know he's running for president. But what do you think about that? Now, the other part of this is, do you enjoy your mandatory break and lunch? Okay, well, I'm an entrepreneur. I own my own business. I don't have a mandatory break or mandatory lunch. I take lunch when I want. I take breaks when I want. When I have a deadline, I don't take breaks. I keep working. And really, what percentage of the workforce is in a labor union? I don't have the numbers in front of me, but it's got to be well less than 50%. I mean, most people these days that are in unions are probably government workers. You know, there, there are still union workers, yeah, in Hollywood, the script writers and the Actors Guild. There's still um, union workers in, you know, automotive, the UAW. They're still protesting and picketing. Um, there, you know, Kaiser's was on strike. Some of their administrative staff and some of their nurses were on strike. So you do see some unions in healthcare, but for the most part, the private sector, there's very little unions involved at all. It's interesting, you know, and in, in some states, you know, they, they have different rules for unions and they have these states that are right to work or not right to work. And right to work means you can go to work for a company and not necessarily have to join the union. And again, I don't have a problem with the union in general. I mean, if you want to join a union, great. And, and unions can greatly benefit the people that are part of that union. But they will also do that at the expense of a lot of other entry-level people that are not in the union. They want to kind of keep them and block them. That's why a lot of unions don't like seeing a lot of these immigrants coming in because they're taking a lot of those jobs or they are fearful of that. So I don't know. I mean, here... This guy's standing up for unions. Corporations didn't offer lunch and breaks willingly. Well, I'm sure a lot of them did. Did unions help bring that along? Yeah, they did. You know, and, but that was like 150 years ago. Um, nowadays, in the private sector, there are companies that are going to four-day work weeks. And that's not because of unions. That's just because the companies and the employees have worked that out. Companies are now having a lot more people working from home, and it ends up being a win-win for both the employee and the employer. And that's not because of unions. That's just because of the natural evolution of our economy, and I think that's a good thing. I mean, what do you think? Okay. Um, anyways, we've been going at this an hour and 15. That's plenty of time here for this week's edition of the John Riley Project. You know, this is episode number 329 of this podcast. If you have um, suggestions on topics you think I should cover, 
send me a note. You can send me an email to john at johnreillyproject.com or just go to the contact section on my website at johnreillyproject.com. Let me know if there's a, a topic you want me to cover, if there's maybe an interesting news incident that's going on in your community, in your neighborhood, especially if it's here in San Diego County, I'd love to hear about it and I'd love to talk about it. Um, if you have a recommendation for a guest or you'd like to be a guest yourself, send me a note and and um, and we can maybe have a conversation about it. But I'm always looking for new ideas for content on this podcast. Uh, so let me know if you've got some ideas that you'd like to share. And if you like to support the podcast, you can always do that at johnreillyproject.com. There you can make a one-time donation, a recurring monthly donation. Uh, so I'm going to put this live stream in the tank, in, 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 the, uh, in the can, and then I'm going to break this up into all the, the smaller videos as I do, which obviously get a lot more viewership um, than the long podcast, the long live stream. So thanks again for joining me here on the John Riley Project. This is episode 329. And for life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness, this is John Riley. Thank you very much for joining me today and have a great day. If you enjoyed today's show, do me a favor, subscribe and then share it with a friend or leave a rating and review on Apple Podcasts. Let's continue the conversation on social media. Go to connectwithjohnny.com to get links to our social media content, audio podcast platforms, and to sign up for our mailing list. To be a guest, read my blog or get more information please visit johnreillyproject.com to get started.